Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Scripture this morning is Genesis 15. Hear the word of the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we are returning in our uh, series to the study of Abraham. And a quick recap, just to bring us back up to speed. Um, remember in uh, Genesis chapter, chapter 12, it's actually referred to here in uh, verse 7, that God had called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, the uh, author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that, that Abram left Ur of the Chaldeans by faith, trusting that God would lead him where to go, not knowing where he was going. And then as we saw in the last part of chapter 12, no sooner had Abram safely arrived in Canaan than a famine hit the land of Canaan, and Canaan, you know, Abram lit out for Egypt. He, he left Canaan, walking by sight and not by faith, even, even willing to give up his own wife to Pharaoh in order to, you know, save his own skin. But then we got to chapter 13, and we found Abram 
back in Canaan, walking by faith and not by sight, worshiping God. And there in uh, chapter 13, we saw that Abram and Lot had to separate. Both of their flocks had grown too large and their, their uh, herdsmen were starting to argue with one another. And Abram was so confident of God's promise, of God's provision, so trusting God's word that he could say to Lot, choose whatever part of the land you want. And, and Lot, as we remember, chose poorly. He chose in a way that would end up with him near the edge of Sodom. Chapter 14, we looked at a few weeks ago. Chapter 14, we have these kings from the north that are coming to crush a rebellion from these kings in the south. And Lot got caught up into that and was actually, he and his family, you know, taken captive. And Abram, in chapter 14, trusting God, walking by faith, Attacked and rescued Lot and his family, drove back the, um, the, the, uh, the invading armies. Now, that, that recap is important for this reason. What we've seen all along in our study of Abram is a man who is walking by faith, imperfectly to be sure, but a man who is trusting God's word, again, imperfectly, is seeking to walk by faith and not by Sight, what characterized Abram from the very beginning of our exposure to him was faith. Now, why does that matter? That matters because of what we see in verse 6 of this passage this morning. Verse 6 is a, a key passage. We'll come back to it again later. But in verse 6, Abram is told by God, or we're told, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. It's very important to realize that this is not the moment of Abram's conversion. He was already walking by faith. In fact, the verb tense here in verse 6 is a verb that has to do with continuous or repeated action. Verse 6 is just summarizing what has been true of Abram throughout the course of his life up to that point, from the time God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, why is that important? That's important because of what's happening here in this passage. Abram is afraid. That's Abram the believer. Abram the man who's been walking by faith and not by sight. Abram is doubting God's goodness, God's promise. Abram the man of faith. Not Abram the brand new convert. Not Abram, the one who's about to be converted and put his trust in Jesus for, you know, in God for his salvation. No, Abram, who is already walking by faith, is dealing with so many of the things that we deal with. And he needs assurance. He needs assurance. And that's what God comes and brings to Abram in this passage big time. Assurance. By word and by sign, God comes to Abram in order to assure him. He provides for Abram assurance, assurance of his protection. Abram is afraid. God comes and says, let me give you assurance of my protection of you, Abram. Abram is doubting God's goodness. And, and God comes to Abram and says, let me give you assurance of my faithfulness. And in a way that Abram was only beginning to realize as this sign was unfolding before him, this covenant was being cut, 
by God before his very eyes, Abram was learning that he needed assurance of forgiveness. He had sinned against God. He will again, we'll know as we continue in the story, sin against God. But God was coming to offer him assurance even then that there would be forgiveness for all who repent and trust in the Lord. It's so important to recognize that these promises, these assurances that God gave to Abram are assurances that he gives to us as well. Again, coming back to verse 6, that, that key passage in this text, that passage continues to be true for Christians. Peter, in his sermon of the day of Pentecost, will reference the promise, the Abrahamic promise, when he says to these Jewish people, as he evangelizes them and calls them to put their trust in Jesus for their salvation, he says to them, this promise continues. Paul, in Romans 4 and in Galatians 3, is going to refer to this very passage. We're saved by faith and that righteousness is accounted to us or credited to us by faith. And then this sign, this covenant-cutting ceremony will find its ultimate fulfillment in the cross of Jesus Christ. These assurances that are given to Abram are very much assurances that God offers to us. So with Abram, entirely by God's grace, what assurances do we find in this passage? And these will be our, our three points for this morning. First, we find assurance of God's protection when we're afraid. We find assurance of God's protection when we're afraid. Second, we find assurance of God's faithfulness when we doubt. And then third, we find assurance of God's forgiveness when we sin. So assurance of God's protection when we're afraid, His faithfulness when we doubt, and His forgiveness when we sin. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we, do, we thank you for preserving the story for us. We thank you for uh, this marvelous um, picture of your grace, uh, the sign that accompanies your word that is intended to bring assurance to all who look to you in faith. Lord, we do that this morning. We pray that you would help us. Our faith is weak, but you, O oh God, are a strong God. It's not about the strength of our faith. It's about the strength of the object of our faith. And so we look to you. We pray that by your spirit, you would give us a greater love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. And would you apply the truths of your word to our hearts this morning? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so assurance of God's protection when we're afraid. Why was Abram afraid? It's really important that we recognize the significance of those first three words in Hebrews chapter 15. After these things. After what things? After Abram, in Genesis chapter 14, had defeated these kings who had come and taken Lot captive, defeated Sodom, right? Abram had, had, you know, with a small band of his own men and some larger forces from his allies, had actually defeated in an in a epic battle these forces that were greater than his and, and drove them back. Lot has been rescued and this great ceremony has taken place in which Melchizedek blesses Abram. That's happened. After those things, we discover that Abram is afraid. Why? Well, probably because those kings to the north weren't all that thrilled about what just happened. 
Right? I mean, here's, they didn't probably even factor Abram into the, their equation. He wasn't a king of, you know, a, a kingdom. He was just this, you know, this, you know, herdsman, really. I mean, in their mind, he wasn't anything significant until he came and drove them back. And then he was very much on their radar. And not surprisingly, completely understandably, Abram is afraid. What is amazing about this passage is that God knew that before Abram said anything. God knew Abram's heart. He knew his fear. His fear was yet unspoken, and yet God brought a word of assurance to him. He said, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. Now, some translations have, I am your shield your very great reward as an I am your reward is probably more precise to say that he's referring to I am your shield and your reward will be very great. And that kind of bleeds over into the next few verses. So let's just focus on the first half there. God says to Abram, I am your shield. I am your shield. This is focusing on God, his person, his character, his promise and his love for Abram. God is saying, I am your shield, Abram. David would learn this. So many years later, David in 2 Samuel 22 would articulate it this way. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, and my refuge. And the, the Psalms are filled with this kind of assurance. The Psalms were the songs that God's people sang. And so in all these Psalms that were being sung, God's people were being reminded that God is their shield. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Psalm 3, verse 3 Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. Psalm 119, 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. God says to Abram, as he said to David, as he says to all of those who look to him in faith, I am your shield. What do you fear? What do you fear? And what is your shield against that fear? Do you fear loss of favor with man? Is your shield a false front? Do you fear failure? Is your shield to work yourself into the ground? Do you fear the pain of relational loss? Is your shield a refusal to love? Do you fear going without? Is your shield hoarding what you have? Do you fear losing your looks? Is your shield the latest anti-aging cream? Do you fear growing old? Is your shield relentless exercise? you do realize that we fear that which is either inevitable or inconsequential. And the shields that we construct are entirely ineffective, even for those things. Here's the good news. God knows your fear. 
He knows what you really fear. And he has said that he himself will be your shield against those things that when we really press down deep, when we wake up in the middle of the night thinking about things, we have exposed for us the things that we really do feel and fear. We fear the power of temptation and sin. If we take our walk with the Lord seriously, we think of what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has seized you. The idea behind the, the Greek language there has you in its grip or has you by the throat. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear and when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out. There's the shield against the temptation that can have you in its grip. We rightly fear the power of Satan. We, we heard about that in our uh, profession this morning, our confession of sin. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. James calls us to resist him firm in the, in the faith, and he will flee. And then we fear the separation of death. We fear the separation of death, the separation in the sense of our loved ones being cut off from them. But we feel that, fear that separation between our, our soul and our flesh. That is death. Again, good news. Jesus Christ came, this is the author of Hebrews in chapter 2 of Hebrews, to free forever those who have been held in slavery by their fear of death. Even the things that ought really to shake us, let alone those things that are inconsequential or inevitable, God says, I am your shield. The most often repeated, repeated command of Jesus in the New Testament is, fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. One of the opportunities that I had to sit with John and Barb in John's last days, Barb shared with me, it was actually after John had gone home to be with Jesus, Barb shared with me that, I think it was on Sunday, last week Sunday before he died, Barb said, John, are you afraid? He said, no. That's the work of God in the heart of a man who, apart from the grace of God, would be afraid. Fear not. God is your shield. But secondly, this passage provides assurance of God's faithfulness when we doubt. Take a look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, unless you were reading chapter 12 you know, consecutively and kind of making your way through here, you probably wouldn't notice something that I want to point out to you. This is the first time that Abram speaks to God. We've had God speaking to Abram. We've never until this moment have Abram speaking to God. And what is Abram doing? He's complaining. He's doubting. Lamenting might be a, a more accurate way to describe what's happening. God, you've made these promises to me. I'm still childless. This, this guy, Eliezer of Damascus, he's going to end up being my heir. 
What does God do in response? He doesn't say, we've covered this. Right? He, he says, your reward will be great. And then he invites him to count the stars. He, he speaks a word, and then he gives him something. The stars in the sky. In order to make an impression on his faith. Abram. Your reward will be great. Just try to count the stars. When it comes to your offspring, so shall they be. What God is doing there for doubting Abram, saved by grace, Abram, walking by faith, Abram, in that moment, doubting Abram, God is saying, I want to blow up even more for you the magnitude of my grace. I want to give you an even more vivid picture of what it's going to look like for my promise to be fulfilled. I want to elicit deeper faith from you, Abram, by speaking more to you of my grace towards you. What an amazing, what an amazing thing. Now, application for us. How do we how do we apply that? I think we first kind of need to step back and ask in our church and in our homes, are we people and are these places in which doubters are welcome? Do we, do we really welcome those who are struggling with the faith? Do we, really, do we really bring into our lives and not push away those who are doubting whether or not God is real or God is good? Do we do we welcome doubters? And then when we doubt ourselves, not if, but when, do we metaphorically count the stars? In other words, are we willing to go back to the word of God and just, you know, meditate on his grace, the magnitude of his grace? Meditate on the wonder of his love, not for those who have cleaned themselves up and presented themselves well and, 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 and had a moment without doubt. But those who are just simply willing with, with empty hands, with all they have, to say, God, I'm going to bank on your word and your word alone. Is that where we go when we doubt? And do we go there even though the assurance may be a long time coming? You see, the, the passage that we're, we're looking at, we're not going to cover uh, all the details, but in the rest of chapter 15, we have this you know, word from the Lord to Abram that his descendants would be, um, you know, they would be in slavery. This is referring to the bondage of Israel in Egypt. 400 years they would be there. And then the fourth generation before they would inherit the land. It wasn't ultimately until the life of David, some thousand years after this promise would have been made to Abram, that this actually came to pass. Everything that's said at the end of chapter 15. In other words... It is normal for Christians to pass through trials as they are inheriting the promise. The promises of God are not given in order to give us a loop around trials. They are given in order to sustain us through trials. God provides assurance for us even as we suffer, even as we doubt. Then third, assurance of God's forgiveness when we sin. I mentioned at the, at the top that God doesn't just give us words in this passage. He gives us a sign. 
And the sign is there in verses 7 through the end of the chapter. I'm not going to go back and read it um, because I'm sure for many of you, it really kind of made an impression. He's cutting animals in half. There's a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing between them. What in the world is going on? Let me tell you what's going on because it's pretty amazing. What was happening here in Genesis chapter 15 was something that was common in the ancient Near East. In order to cut a covenant or create a covenant between, most often, a suzerain king, a conquering king, a more powerful king, and a vassal king, the king of a weaker country that had been conquered or just needed to kind of have that suzerain king's protection. There's, there's archaeological evidence to show that this kind of thing was happening. And so animals would be cut in half. And the suzerain king and the vassal king were to walk between the animal parts as a way of symbolically signifying and saying, may it be done to me if I fail to, te- uh, fail to keep the terms of the covenant. If I violate this covenant that we've made, may it be to me that I be cut off, killed in the same way that these animals have been cut off and killed. Often in the ancient Near East, (laughs) the, the more powerful king wouldn't even go. He was supposed to, but he held all the cards, so he would make the vassal king go through. Who passes through in Genesis chapter 15? It's not Abraham. It's God. The smoking fire pot, the flaming torch, reminiscent of anticipating what will happen at, at Mount Sinai and what will happen throughout the wilderness as God's people are led by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. This is a theophany. This is a, a manifestation of God's presence. God is passing between the animal parts, saying, in effect, Abram, may it be done to me if either I or you fail to keep covenant. That's the promise that brings assurance of forgiveness when we sin. Because, of course, God did not fail to keep covenant. But we have. And what's happening here in Genesis 15 finds its ultimate fulfillment at the cross. This is what Paul tells us. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. On the cross, Jesus bore the curse of the covenant. He bore it in our place. As Isaiah would say, he was cut off from the land of the living. He suffered for our iniquity. It is his blood, his blood, not ours, that makes atonement for sin. Fernando Ortega is a Christian artist. He sings an old hymn from the 1800s titled, I Will Sing of My Redeemer. It captures what ought to be in our hearts, even if it's not coming from our lips, when we think about the significance of Christ being cut off in our place. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me on the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, O oh, sing of my Redeemer. 
With his blood, he purchased me. On the cross, he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. This passage is meant to bring assurance to all who look to Christ for their salvation by faith. Not bringing good works, not bringing our effort, not bringing a record, bringing empty hands and simple trust. Completely by God's grace, we find assurance of his protection when we're afraid. We find assurance of his faithfulness when we doubt. And we find assurance of his forgiveness when we sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this word. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would impress our faith. Lord, with these great and marvelous things that you have done. Lord, ultimately, they find their fulfillment in the cross. We thank you, O oh God, that you have loved us. That you demonstrated your love for us at the cross. And that in your mercy... You have granted us forgiveness as we've looked to you by faith. Lord, help us to receive the assurance that you offer us. Assurance of your protection when we are afraid. Assurance of your faithfulness when we doubt. And assurance of your forgiveness when we sin. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.